Welcome to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. I'm Jonathan Hood. Don't forget to follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. Twitter and Instagram at WrestlingTWT. That's where you can find our program. I'll give you my thoughts on the Clash of Champions, the latest pay-per-view for the WWE on the WWE Network. Also, we'll talk about Kobe Kingston as WWE Champion that, that we saw uh, against Randy Orton at the Clash of Champions. We'll talk about that. Also, we've got a new King of the Ring. It's Baron Corbin. We'll break down the baby faces and heels in the WWE, as well as talk a little bit about something that Eric Bischoff said that really resonated with me on his last podcast 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, all part of our show here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, right here with Jonathan Hood. Tell people, hey, Jonathan Hood talks professional wrestling, and there's a separate podcast feed for it. You can find the podcast wherever you download your podcast. You can find it on Spotify and Stitcher and SoundCloud and iTunes and Deezer and other places. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. Subscribe, and that way people know that we're talking wrestling here Nobody covers pro wrestling like me here in the Chicagoland area and across the country. Thanks so much for listening to our broadcast. Well, before I start, I know you're probably wondering, there was no wrestling conversation on Tuesdays at 9.30 p.m. Central Time, usually, on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. The reason for that is we have been preemptive this week because of Chicago Blackhawk Blackhawks hockey on the 24th of September will be also an interesting switch as far as my schedule is concerned. I'm doing a Chicago Bears centric show between six and eight, but that's why we have the podcast. So if you download the podcast, you never miss an episode of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If it doesn't air on ESPN 1000, doesn't mean it's not going to happen because here I am here tonight after SmackDown is aired talking to you about pro wrestling slash sports entertainment. Let me, uh, first of all, go through the Clash of Champions, and we'll talk about some of the things that were thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down when it comes to Clash of Champions uh, in Charlotte for the WWE. Okay, so let's take a look at the United States Championship with AJ Styles against Cedric Alexander. So AJ wins in part of the kickoff show, wins back his United States Heavyweight Championship, and... I thought that it was okay. It was not great. I don't understand why Cedric Alexander is being buried. It's one thing to lose. Okay, It's one thing to lose to a veteran. And Cedric Alexander also is a veteran, but not a veteran yet in the WWE. I understand that. But I'm not sure why that match was so quick. That match could have been even longer than what it was. And... I mean, AJ was phenomenal. He was able to get the pinfall on Cedric Alexander. But there is a strange burial that's happening with Cedric Alexander, which I don't understand. So, in the traditional sense of wrestling, and here's the difference between wrestling and the WWE. If you have someone like Cedric Alexander that's fighting underneath and he's losing a lot of matches... There's sympathy on the baby face, right? There's sympathy from the fans like Cedric really tries hard, but he always falls short. But he's going to be a big star one day, and he actually becomes a big star one day. I think, unless I'm reading this wrong, I think that the WWE just looks at Cedric Alexander as a good hand at this point in time, but not necessarily the guy. And I just think in today's wrestling climate, if you are not pushing quality wrestlers... 
and you continue to bury them in matches and not even and not even just losing in the match, but then just getting beaten down, stomped down, where there's so much sympathy. If there's no comeuppance for Cedric Alexander at some point, then what's the point of all this, right? So, got a little problem with that. <laughs> so, um, AJ with a phenomenal forearm wins the matchup against Cedric Alexander. So, I thought that was an okay matchup. Wish it was longer. Then the Raw Tag Team Championship with Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler defeating Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman to win the Tag Team Championships. Now, here's something that's odd about this booking. Number one, Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman should have never been Tag Team Champions. The WWE is noted to have strange tag teams, teams that have no real correlation, but they are put together as a team. You know why? Because Vince McMahon does not really like traditional tag team wrestling. He likes four stars in the ring at the same time and put a match together like that. And I just think that that's just ass backwards. I don't understand it. Everybody else doesn't do it, but he does it that way, and it just does not seem to... It doesn't seem to make me understand even further what Vince is trying to do. So, you have four guys, four terrific singles wrestlers, the Universal Champion Seth Rollins, teaming with Braun Strowman, and they're the tag team champions. And it wasn't like there was a lot of heat between Strowman and and Rollins. Here's the wrestling logic to this, okay? So, if Braun Strowman turns heel on Seth Rollins... And Braun Strowman makes Seth Rollins and Braun lose the tag team championships. That makes more sense. Because now Braun Strowman has turned on Seth Rollins. And when they go after it for the Universal Championship, now there is a babyface and a heel. Braun Strowman's this bad guy going against Seth Rollins. But yet there is still this mutual respect between the two. So that, that's why that booking didn't make sense. Also, that didn't make sense is Robert Roode, who, when he went from Bobby Roode, glorious Bobby Roode, to Robert Roode, has been absolutely a big zero. See, veterans like Bobby Roode are, it's probably good with the check, but also wants to be in the mix and be in the spotlight. He was hot as hell coming off that NXT TV. Comes in as Bobby Roode, he's got the fans behind him he's got the glorious robe and all of a sudden you can't find him on tv he's on the road and he's got some great tag team matches with chad gable but all of a sudden that's got split up and so that didn't work out so Rudy and gable were not a thing dolph ziggler who's been buried a million times uh, in this company all of a sudden comes back and he's a tag team with Robert Roode. They have this number one contenders match or whatever it is. They, they match up to determine who's going to win the tag team championships. And so here's Roode and Ziggler as a tag team. And that doesn't make sense either. <laughs> but they are a tag team. Doesn't make sense to me. But they are. And they won the tag team championships. And a clean victory for Robert Roode defeating South Rollins for Rude and Ziggler to win a tag team championships. It was it was good, but it wasn't great. Again, it's kind of a B minus to me, more so than anything else. It did not have a lot of excitement, a lot of execution to it, because just as I laid it out to you, how Braun Strowman should have turned on Seth Rollins to put even more emphasis on the main event, on the Universal Championship, it seemed like both of those guys had respect for one another as a tag team. 
it's just not how it's ever booked in wrestling, and that's why it fell flat with the audience, and I think the story overall did not make sense. Here's something else that didn't make sense. So Bailey defeats Charlotte Flair via pinfall to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Boy, this was rushed. And I'm not saying that the SmackDown Women's Championship has to be an AEW show where the matches are 20, 25 minutes apiece. I'm not saying that. But that match was six minutes. And for Charlotte Flair to only get five, six minutes, and for them to rush to the match where Bailey puts the, um, takes off the turnbuckle pad, Charlotte Flair's head first into the exposed steel and turnbuckle, and then all of a sudden Bailey just runs away and wins the, the match. It's like, that's all she gets in Charlotte. That's all that Charlotte Flair gets in Charlotte is six minutes. And a quick victory. Ah, oh, pal, but you got to lose in your hometown. Vince McMahon says you got to lose in your hometown. You got to get embarrassed in your hometown. Yeah, that's great. All, that's just awesome. The whole Bailey thing with Bailey being a heel does not make sense. Does not make sense. And I don't care what anyone says. Bailey had the kids in her hand, the palm of her hand, as a baby face. She was female John Cena as far as being a white meat baby face that people can get behind. Not just Full Sail University for NXT, but I just think that she was that marketable person that you could just say, you know what, this is the, on the women's side, Bailey's it. Look at her face. She looks like a, a kid with that side ponytail, you know. And the other thing, too, and this is where there's always a disconnect for me with the WWE. You got to make Bailey a heel, right? Don't, why don't you change your persona? Bring the hair down. Different outfits. She's still wearing bright outfits like a baby face. You know, Jimmy Hart said this for many, many years, a longtime manager in wrestling. And he used to drive Eric Bischoff crazy in WCW. You have to look at the trunks. You got to look at the outfits, the robes, everything else, because bright colors and dark colors do matter. It may not matter to people in 2019 as much, but it does matter as far as the perception. Bailey out there with her, her bright outfit and she looks the same as she did as a baby face, what's what's the big deal then? If she's if she really is a heel, why does she still dress like that? If you're going to be different, you change the persona, you change everything, right? That's why I, I don't get it. And once again, it's a disconnect for me because Charlotte Flair would rather be a heel, just like her dad. She'd rather be a heel fighting a babyface, making the babyface look great. Now, going into this new SmackDown show on Fox, I'm sure Fox looks at Charlotte Flair as one of the big stars and um, and feels that Charlotte Flair she would be better as a babyface. I don't get that. Don't understand it. The Revival defeat the New Day. Um, to win the tag team championships on the SmackDown side. Love when the Revival is out there because they give you what tag team wrestling is supposed to be. I know that McMahon and maybe some of the writers there don't understand the art of tag team wrestling, that when it's done right, it's great. This wasn't even a great Revival New Day match. It was fine, uh, but it's um, it, it was just 
great to see the revival with championships again because they do want to show cutting off the ring, just little intricacies about tag team wrestling. I'm a tag team wrestling fan, uh, and I like the revival. It's it's one of the best. I won't say they're the best because I really believe young grizzled veterans um, do a great job on the NXT UK brand. I think that they really do a solid job as a tag team. But the revival's right there, one A, one B. Those two tag teams really do it for me as far as um, the WWE brand is concerned. So the Revival win over the Dude Day, again, just a, a fine match is fine. Uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross against Fire and Desire. I went to the bathroom. Don't know what happened there. So I missed that match. Just being honest with you. Just being honest with you. Another match I probably should have just stayed in the can for was Sinche, is, uh, Nakamura. Shinke Nakamura. Shinke Nakamura. I don't know. Nakamura. Um, they <laughs> defeated The Miz uh, by pinfall to retain the championship. Nakamura. Um, I don't know if... I guess we're just never going to see the Nakamura I saw in New Japan. I guess that's the whole deal, right? Shinsuke Nakamura, I said it. Um, I don't think we'll see the same Nakamura that we saw in New Japan. It's a WWE kind of slowdown style. And you see Sami Zayn out there. I thought that him being on the mic was entertaining. And they cut his mic off after like a minute of him doing some rambling commentary. You know, with his heel persona talking about the Carolina Panthers and stuff. Made the crowd boo. At least the crowd got into it. Then they cut his mic. Cut his mic. And The Miz, as a babyface, it may not do it for you. But I like his babyface style. I think that his babyface style Reminds me of a baby face in the 90s, early 2000s, you know? Like, he he thinks he can win the match, and he's got the crowd behind him, but it just uh, it didn't work out. Did not work out for him. Shin, uh, as Shinsuke Nakamura wins, that Intercontinental Championship is so cold. It's, it's ice cold. Even with Nakamura as a champion, they've tried a lot of different things with Nakamura. If you notice this... The artist, he's got a cape on now. You could tell Vince just, just doesn't get it. You know, he just doesn't understand. Nakamura, if you just let him loose, can give you the best match on the card every night. But he, there's a, this is a very slow down Nakamura. This is a not even half speed, even less than half speed Nakamura out there. And I don't know what that is. But he defeated the Miz. Now business picks up, right? The Raw Women's Championship with Sasha Banks against Becky Lynch. I don't know. I think this is a disqualification. I don't know how this ended. I'm watching the match, but, you know, <laughs> I like that these, it was a very physical brawl. I love that some of the post-match took all took place all over the arena. That was good. There's a lot of intensity between the two. Um, a lot of trash talk. I like it. I like a lot. Um, I think that that's exactly what you want uh, when you have heat. Sasha Banks is the heel. Becky Lynch is the baby face. And uh, Lynch retained the title. I, I guess it was Sasha Banks winning via disqualification because of the chair shot to Rudy Charles, the uh, the uh, referee in the match. I think that's what the call was. I never remember hearing a bell, though. That's the thing. It, the ending was kind of strange. Rudy Charles was down on the mat for like, I don't know, until Christmas. And I never heard a bell 
to call for disqualification when the chair was in the match. I don't know. I just thought that the match, though, was one of the best on the card. I thought it was very, very good. It's exactly what you wanted. You know, two women going at it. Sasha Banks was very good. Again, Sasha and Becky, as far as a wrestling match, that's what I'd love to see. But I guess it's going to elevate now to Hell in the Cell. But I think that if Banks and Lynch were able to just go at it NXT style, I'll just use that as an expression, I think that would be even a terrific match as well. Um, let's get to Kofi Kingston against Randy Orton. Man. Kofi Kingston's a WWE champion. Do you even know that that's the case? Does the general audience know that Kofi Kingston actually is the face of the company? It's not really not the universal champion. You recognize the WWE champion as the guy. And Kofi Kingston has had every opportunity to really turn the crowd on his side. And it just is not working. And I believe it's just because it's not Kofi's fault. It's the WWE's fault. The fans are trained to just sit there and watch. The fans are just trained to sit there and not necessarily get emotionally involved in these matches. You know why? Because the majority of these wrestling fans watch what... um, they watch Raw, they watch SmackDown, they see what the rest of the crowd is doing, and so nothing else really comes of it. I mean, think about this for a second. You're watching just a random Raw from Omaha, Nebraska, and fans are just sitting on their hands. They will stand up for their favorites for the open, like when the entrances. But then in the match, they're not emotionally involved. So then you go to the next town and do the same thing. You go to the next town, it's the same thing. There's not enough emotion on these TV tapings, these Raw and SmackDowns, or these WWE events, right? It is nothing, nothing seems to get the crowd going. Kofi Kingston is the babyface WWE champion, and no response from the people in Charlotte. It, I don't even blame Kofi. I just blame the, the company. I mean, Kofi just begging for applause, and it just, it's so tepid. It's almost like some of these crowds just do not believe in Kofi Kingston as a WWE champion. And he takes on Randy Orton, and Randy Orton, I thought, turned it up a little bit, but I'm going to stand by my thoughts in previous weeks on this program. Randy Orton is the same Randy Orton he was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. There's nothing, there's no other gear from Randy Orton. It just isn't. He, I know he's going to be a WWE Hall of Famer, but just part of that sports entertainment machine, that's who Randy Orton is. Randy's going to give you his 3-4 moves. He's going to make faces. He's going to do the RKO out of nowhere. And um, there's no other gear from Randy Orton. There's no extra wrestling moves. There's nothing to say, wow, I've never seen him do that before. You know, I, I'm still of the theory that there's a difference between television tapings and pay-per-views, right? or big events, whatever you want to call them. I always thought that whatever you do on TV, you do all the time because people are used to it, as far as television shows, Raw, SmackDown, WCW, Saturday Night, you know, whatever, right? But I always thought that on major events, you see something different. Well, it doesn't matter if it's a babyface or a heel. You'll see a move. You'll see uh, some kind of action that's different than what you normally would see. What's the difference between Randy Orton in 2019 and Randy Orton 10, 15 years ago? There is no difference. He's the same guy that he's always been. And so 
it's it's kind of the typical WWE, right? They are years behind on what was hot when these two first went after each other at Madison Square Garden when they tore the house down. And they said, no, this is not right. Kofi's not ready for that. Nope. We'll just keep pushing Randy to the moon, push him to a Hall of Fame existence, and you know we'll come back around to it. And, and it's almost like someone told Vince, hey, you remember this? And you saw Kofi and Orton when they were younger going after it. So now in 2019, they build a storyline of Randy Orton and the machine holding Kofi down and Kofi being told that he's stupid. That's great. Randy Orton telling him he's stupid because that's not that. that I mean, that's heat, but it's the kind of heat in 2019 that you get. You get Kofi would be called something else 20 years ago, 25 years ago to really get him going where the crowd could really be behind him. But when you hear fans saying stupid, like it's a, a catchphrase instead of an insult for Kofi Kingston, it's not going anywhere. It just isn't. Um, so I, I just, um, I feel bad for Kofi Kingston because he's the WWE champion. I'm happy that he's champion because it's good for him. But has he moved the meter at all? Anytime that you're not in the main event and you're the WWE champion, you're just another guy. CM Punk went through that. Bray Wyatt went through that. There's a number of wrestlers that are the man, the WWE champion, but not in the main event. I don't care what Bruce Pritchard or anyone else tells you. If you are not last in the card, you're not in the main event. I'm sorry. It's just, it's, it just shows you where Kingston is as far as the hierarchy of the WWE when he's not the last match on the card. Now, you think about this this particular clash of champions. What if Kingston and Orton was the last match? <laughs> based on the build, based on the lack of interest seemingly from the fans, I mean, I, I mean this was a C-plus match at best for Kingston as the WWE champion. It's something. I'm going to put a, a pin in this for a second because there were some other thoughts about Kofi Kingston from a podcast I was hearing the other day. So I was listening to Brian and Vinny on Wrestling Observer Live, and they were talking about Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. Listen. Kofi Kingston versus Randy Orton. You know, they had the odds for this, and I think it was two and three-quarter stars was the over-under. And I thought, you know, Randy Orton and Kofi Kingston have the potential to do a very good match. I realize at the last pay-per-view they didn't have a very good match, but hey, second chance here. Like, these guys can go out there, and they got to do better than two and three-quarter. I was wrong. Mm. What a boring, nothing-happening match. They're out there throwing each other into furniture. Just keep that in mind. And they just, just like, neither one had any idea what to do, so they just said, let's just throw clotheslines all night. And they clotheslined each other a bunch. There was one terrifying dive by Kofi. Otherwise, none of it was impressive. None of it mattered. It was possible to care. Orton hits an RKO. Kofi gets a leg in the ropes. There are notable boos and stupid chants. And so Orton goes for his punt, and Kofi dodges the punt, hits trouble in paradise, and wins. I assume this ends the feud. Yeah, but the announcer said, what is some line like, this rivalry must continue, or... No, it must not. They, they said something that indicated they were going to really go again. It really doesn't have to. Yes. There's no reason to do it again. Now, that said, Kobe's been champion. He's been champion for a fairly long time now. And I still don't think it's working. And I don't know what else there is to do with him. But I guess another match with Orton. 
So after his win, he celebrates in this ring for like five minutes. And there is a little bit of a reaction at first, but it dies quickly. And watching him beg for cheers before that, as the crowd is just lukewarm or even negative, it was sad. It was honestly sad. So the thoughts there from Brian and Vinny from the Wrestler Observer Live podcast. Yes, I what they had to say, and um, I can somewhat agree that it is sad because Kofi Kingston has waited a long time to be a top guy in the WWE. Didn't have to be WWE champion, but Vince thought it was best that he would be the champion because maybe of the success from the New Day. I'm not sure what it is. But you're not the man if you're not ending the pay-per-views, if you're not ending the big shows. So off the top of my head, I'm thinking about the world champions in different companies, right? Brian Cage is the Impact Wrestling heavyweight champion. Really good worker, strong man. Jacob Fatu is the MLW heavyweight champion. Dangerous, part of that Contra unit, that Contra group that's in Major League Wrestling. Just thinking about uh, Matt Taven, who is the ROH champion. Just thinking about uh, the New Japan Pro Wrestling heavyweight champion in Okada. I mean, Okada is the best out of everybody that considers himself world champion, especially in North America, right? I'm thinking of if I'm trying to figure out if I'm missing someone, but I believe that Okada is the best out of those. I'm trying to figure out where Kofi v. Kingston, where he fits in as the best world champions in 2019. Just because he works a lot doesn't necessarily make him a great world champion. And this is something that the promotion has to think about. They put so much stock in the Universal Champion because that's the number one show, as you well know, Raw. They put so much stock into that championship. Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, who's going to be the Universal Champion because it's the champion of the number one show on WWE. All right, great. But what does that do for Kofi Kingston? On SmackDown, a show that Vince does not care about or did not care about for a long time. He's got to care about now because of the billion-dollar deal on Fox. But really pushed it to the side, really did not put the full emphasis and effort into SmackDown as he did on Raw. I was a SmackDown fan for a long time because it was more wrestling-centric. Vince was knew what was going on in the program, obviously, but it just seems like there was a lot more focus on Monday nights. And I understand that's his first baby. I totally get it. He cared about cares about Monday Night Raw. But to me, I was a big SmackDown fan for a long time because there's so much wrestling on there. It was very little ha-ha. It was really about the in-ring product for the most part on SmackDown. I'm just trying to figure out where, where Kofi fits. By the time they get to Fox, is Kofi going to be the heavyweight champion? Will he be pushed out there like other wrestlers on the new SmackDown brand on Fox? I have no idea. I just know that that... It's weird in 2019 for him to want the cheers, want the adulation, and the fans are like, yeah, just flip me some pancakes, boy. Just keep flipping the pancakes to me. And no, you don't, you're not as over as you are when you're with the whole New Day together. Eh, just, uh, I don't know. I just think that that's a, that's a problem. It's a blind spot for Vince. Great that he's champion, but what are you doing with him as champion? So... 
you know, big questions there. By the way, Baron Corbin wins the King of the Ring in a very good match against Chad Gable. It was laid out perfectly. It was laid out perfectly because it was big guy against little guy. And Chad Gable has been raked over the coals from a... Um, from a standpoint of creative, creative so lazy in the WWE sometimes. What can we get on Chad Gable? Oh, he's short. How many short wrestlers do you have in the company? But you use Chad Gable as the guy. Oh, he's so short. So we just make fun of his height. Chad Gable can go, man. Chad Gable uh, is a star in the making. And I know there's a lot of parallels to Kurt Angle when Angle first came in that Chad Gable could be just as good. I have no idea if he could be that good. I just know that there's some good things from Chad Gable I see that I really enjoy. So Chad Gable really worked hard against Baron Corbin. I don't know who's calling that match inside the ring. It seems like Gable was might have been. I don't know. But all praise to Baron Corbin, the new king of the ring. I knew that was going to happen because... Baron Corbin has worked hard. If you just watch Corbin, don't worry about the black uh, t-shirt and the black pants. Baron Corbin, as a worker, has worked hard enough to earn King of the Ring. And it's always best when you have a heel as King of the Ring than a babyface. You see King Booker out there. Booker T still rolling out with the, the crown and the, the cape out there uh, on Monday Night Raw or whatever the hell it was. So and that's when he was a heel. It changed his persona for a long time. And so for Baron Corbin, it's great. King Corbin, great. He's a heel. He wants you to hate him. And I think he's had some really smooth matches. I was gonna make a parallel to him like in the old the, like he's like a new age mass spoiler, but maybe he's maybe Corbin's not that way yet. The spoiler was very smooth and very tall. It's very similar to Baron Corbin. Uh, but Corbin's still got a lot more to, to learn. But I just think over the last couple of months, from an attitude standpoint, a work rate standpoint, and if you want to hate that guy, he wants you to hate him, I like it. I'm glad Baron Corbin is the king of the ring. It makes sense to me. Absolutely. So good for him. By the way, uh, just one other thing before I was going to go into a, a different topic. I want to tell you a little bit about the WWE announcing. I try to watch these shows because I know you want me to watch these shows. You want me to comment on these wrestlers and these shows. That's why we have Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Ultimately, you want to know my thoughts, and we, and you and I can share our thoughts uh, at Wrestling TWT on Instagram and Twitter. Can I just tell you about Corey Graves just for a second? I think in 2019, his approach as a commentator is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. In 2019, where you and I both know what's going on, right? We just want to be entertained. We know that the business is wide open. We're, we're in a non-kayfabe era. Why is it that Corey Graves on color, especially on SmackDown, and especially on the pay-per-views, the, the WWE Network shows, how come that his rhetoric is about 60% of the broadcast, 65% of the broadcast, you ever listen closely when he's on SmackDown? He's and by the way, he's overexposed. He's on too many things. It, it, it just once again the laziness of the WWE not being able to, to to determine someone else that could do color on SmackDown or color on Raw instead of having Graves do both shows and every match 
on these big events on the WWE Network. It's ridiculous. It's overexposure. But anyway, so do you ever notice on the SmackDown side in particular how Corey Graves just continues to just rub his nose into the baby faces? Oh, the baby faces can't get because the heels are so great, blah, 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 blah. And there's no retort. The, the, the guys that are working with them, Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, they've got nothing. They've got no comebacks, no real comebacks until a babyface wins. And then Saxton just starts to puff out his chest and talks about how great Kofi Kingston is, how great this babyface is. How It's really strange. It's hard to listen to because in a non-kayfabe era, there is really no need for a heel announcer. At least not a heel announcer that's over the top like that. Especially when you and I both know what's going on. It's just, it's one thing when Bobby Heenan did it for a comedic effect, or Jesse Ventura wanted to fight with Vince McMahon back in the day in the 80s. It's one thing to have Roddy Piper do it back in the day as a color analyst for Georgia Championship Wrestling with Gordon Soley. The list goes on and on of quote-unquote heel announcers. Michael Hayes with Jim Ross and Mid-South UWF. It goes back, it goes back a long ways, right? But to have a pure heel announcer doing color, to me, is passe. Uh, I'll take Shivani and Bokini on MLW because they're both just talking about the action. They're just trying to get the wrestlers over. And if you listen to that commentary team, Shivani always kind of talks about what the heel is thinking. So it's about strategy more so than just pushing a stupid rhetoric and just an unentertaining rhetoric. It's hard to watch some of this stuff from the WWE, but also the color is so just horrible from Corey Graves. It doesn't it doesn't fit. Like Corey would have been great in like 1985, 1990. He would have been great as someone that's just pushing the heel agenda. But it, it's it can't be more than half the broadcast, right? On Monday Night Raw, there's Michael Cole with all of his WWE isms to try to get through these broadcasts, and Renee Young saying nothing. Pretty much. Renee's not very good at her job. Uh, Beth Phoenix is 10 times better than what she is because Beth was in the ring and can kind of talk about certain things and an uh, NXT broadcast I really like. But Renee's just kind of there just to, to fill time to get let Michael Cole get a drink. Uh, and Corey just it just yammering and just on and on and on, not giving the babyface any credit, but putting the heels over. And it's kind of like, wow, I, I understand that's his job. I know some of you might be saying, well, he's doing his job if he annoys you. No, no, it's 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 turn away heat for me because it, it doesn't make sense in 2019. Like, it, it can't be it could be half the broadcast. It would it, just from his chair. But it can't be the, uh, more than half the broadcast. Phillips with nothing. Saxton with nothing on that SmackDown broadcast. Those, those things are hard to listen to. That's why I can't wait when I turn on NXT UK or NXT or, or some of these other broadcasts that doesn't have Graves on it or Cole on it or Renee Young on it. Because it's at least a different sounding broadcast. It just, uh, I, it, that just, I don't know how... Someone tunes in and says, boy, I can't wait to hear what Corey Graves got to say about this. I don't think that that works today. 
I think that might have worked back in the day. Ah, uh, Vince and Jesse. They were like some Raw and Madden back in the day. You get that. Ah, uh, you know, when you get um, Jim Ross in there with Michael Hayes, you know, that you know that's going to be a fun broadcast. Oh, when you get JR and the King, you know, King's going to have his viewpoints. Ah, uh, JR and, and Paul Heyman, Shivani and Ventura, back and forth. Now you got something there. But just, you know, or, or even Don Callis in uh, ECW, work with Joey Styles. Great, terrific broadcast team. You know, but it, it just, I just, I don't understand it. <laughs> that, I don't know how that broadcast, his style of broadcast works today in 2019 when we're not in a kayfabe era number one or number two we're not in an era where you need to push the baby faces uh, push the heels out there so far that's like you know whatever you, you don't see the blind tag you don't see the cheating like come on bro we're not, we're not children I just I don't understand that let's continue and talk a little bit about the baby faces and heels in the WWE let me get your thoughts on something and make sure that you hit me up uh, on Twitter at WrestlingTWT, uh, as well as on Instagram at WrestlingTWT. I want to get your thoughts on this. Is it just me, or is it WWE, or are they just stacked with heels? They're like building a heel factory. How many baby faces are really over in the WWE? So I made a, a small list, right? Not who you think is over, not for you, but for the general audience, where they're a must-watch. Like, they come to town, you got to see them. So Becky Lynch is on my list for babyfaces, right? And I wrote down uh, Roman Reigns, and I wrote down Seth Rollins, uh, The New Day for some audiences, and I kind of stopped. I thought, maybe Finn Balor? Uh... Maybe Chad Gable. I, I don't think Chad Gable's in that on that list right now. Our truth is that the reason that you come to the stadium, the to come to the arena, you want to see our truth in the twenty four seven championship. Um, then I thought like Braun Strowman's kind of is he a babyface or is he a heel? Um, Ricochet is that the reason why you come to the arena? See, I think that we talk about babyfaces that are over. Uh, obviously. Becky Lynch is trying to get there. I think Seth Rollins has established himself very well. I think that Roman Reigns has definitely established himself. New Day. But on the other side, there's a there's a ton of heels that the WWE has been able to put together. You know, here, now, keep in mind, the WWE for years has been a babyface territory, right? Going back to Backlund and Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior... And all the great um, baby faces over the years that was the WWE champion and you came to the arena to see those guys back in the day. Who is that on that side, though, that you want to see on the babyface side for the men? Singles. Is that Roman Reigns, the guy that got booed out of the building until he said he had cancer? You know, I mean, it's, it's um, quite interesting. I look at the heel side, though. And I see Corbin and AJ Styles in the OC. I see Dolph Ziggler and Robert Roode and Randy Orton and Elias and Dash and Dawson. It's a long list, I believe, of heels that the office has put together. A ton. I'm just wondering, is the WWE losing its touch on trying to create babyfaces versus heels? 
I look up and down this roster and I see a lot of baby faces, but a lot of them that are not over, which is really ultimately the issue with the WWE. Like Dash Wilder, Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre. It just goes on and on. And you got all these guys in between. You know, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows are heels. Um, Robert Roode, as I mentioned, Sami Zayn. And any of your baby faces, is that is that The Miz? Is that is that one of the guys that you want to go see? Is that is that a guy? Jeez. Kevin Owens is he's a babyface, right? Do we know that? Is he gonna be with SmackDown or Raw or will he be with NXT? A lot of question marks. A lot of question marks about this company. I want to turn to Eric Bischoff now. So I was listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. It's a podcast that you can download yourself. He's with Conrad Thompson. Eric Bischoff, the former head of WCW, now he is executive producer of SmackDown. That When it goes to Fox, I'm not sure of his official title, but uh, Eric Bischoff is definitely firmly entrenched with the WWE now as someone that is uh, over the SmackDown brand. So Eric Bischoff was talking about his days in WCW. And I heard something that I want to play for you just in case you missed it regarding something that's missing in the wrestling business. And I don't mean just WWE because it sounds like I'm beating up on the WWE. I'm not. And I'll explain why in a moment. Something that's missing in wrestling that we don't get enough of. I want you to listen very closely to what he has to say about what wrestling fans wanted back in the day. Something that could really work now. So let me go and hear now from Eric Bischoff on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff, his podcast he does with Conrad Thompson. The, the underlying premise here, or theme, I shouldn't say premise, the theme here is who's WCW's fourth man? We went back to something that worked. And yes, you know, we used a lot of diversions and a lot of swerves, as they're called in a wrestling business, uh, misdirects, if you, want, if you want to be more technical about it. We used a lot of misdirects to keep the audience off balance and guessing. Again, going back to, you know, the launch of Nitro. Uh, one of the things that came out of that, and I'm going to go a little into the weeds here, so be prepared. One of the things that really became crystal clear to me as we were developing the strategy and the creative strategy for Nitro, business strategy and creative strategy, was we did a tremendous amount of research. We did focus groups all over the United States. We did focus groups with current WWF fans at that time. We did focus groups with lapsed WWF fans. We did the same thing with WCW fans, current, lapsed. We did focus groups with people that, yeah, kind of peripherally they'll watch every once in a while, but they weren't huge fans. And over the course of my, God, I think we did this research over, I don't know, 15 or 20 different cities. It was, it was a lot of work. I was traveling all over the country doing it. And we'd sit and, and we would watch these, and there were sometimes 15, 20 people in these focus groups of all age, you know, all ages, men, women. And we would, they would watch a show, for example. They would watch a WWF show on tape. And they would all be hooked up to these little dial meters. And these dial meters were all integrated together so that all of us from WCW or Turner Broadcasting who were sitting behind this one-way mirror so that we could see out and they couldn't see us, we were watching this focus group watch the product. 
And while the product was, while they were watching the product, the the focus groups were instructed that when they saw something they liked, turn the dial to the right. If they really love it, turn it all the way to the right and peg the meter. If they watched something that they didn't like, turn it to the left. If they hated it, just peg it to the left. So what would happen is these dial meters were integrated on a computer, we could literally watch the average reaction of 25, 15, 20, 25 different people in a graph on our version of that same show. So we could look almost like minute by minutes, second by seconds. We could see how the audience was reacting to certain interviews, to backstage promos, if you will, to in-ring promos, to action, to the events that led up to action, so that you could really get a sense of what the audience really enjoyed. And out of all of that, out of all of that research, I walked away with two or, two or three different, in every, every focus group, you'd walk away with a little piece of information that you could apply. And, you know, research is something, I'm going to go into the weeds even deeper here. Research is great. I'm, I'm a firm believer in research. The more data I have to work with, the better I like it. However, research can be a very dangerous things, thing if it's in the wrong hands. It's like, you know, giving a five-year-old a loaded weapon. You know, if they don't know how to use it, it, it can be a horrible, tragic event. And research can almost have the same devastating impact on a product. If you have people, if you have executives that don't really understand how to apply that research, then it, it can it can work against you. So despite the fact that we got tons of data, you know, uh, the, the two or three things that I took away from that, eh, there's probably more, but let's say there's three things I took away from it, was one, the audience wants to be surprised. They crave it. When they're watching a wrestling show, d d despite the you know four-star, five-star mentality that is so prevalent in today's product, the and and maybe you know today's a little bit different. I'll, I'll admit that, but back in the in, in this period of time, 95, 96, 97, 98, the wrestling audiences that we did massive focus groups on um, suggested to us that they really, above all else, they wanted to be surprised. Above all else, they loved the tension right before the action. And to kind of give you a parallel example of that, it would be like if you're watching a Western, I'm aging myself here, but if you're watching a Western and there's always that scene in, in the old Westerns from the 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever, 80s, where the two gunfighters meet in the middle of the street at, at, at noon or whatever, and there's that tension that builds right before, you know, somebody draws first. The same kind of reaction happens in wrestling. Wrestling fans in our focus groups back then, things have changed, admittedly, back then, it wasn't so much the action that they appreciated, was the buildup to the action. Those moments, Conrad, if you and I were coming face to face in the middle of the ring, and you, you were the baby face and I was the heel, the slower we came together and the more tension we built in that one moment before one of us actually landed a blow, that is the peak, or was, I should say, that was the peak across the boards in our focus groups. So yes, did I try to surprise the audience? Of course I did. Did I, did I do it too often? Maybe I did, but it 
it worked really well, as as we've talked about here in this era. Um, they really loved cliffhangers. They wanted they wanted you to leave them wanting more, not give them so much that they wanted less. So did I try as best I could, as often as I could, to create a show that rather than leaving with a finish or leaving in a way that kind of put a period at the end of the sentence for that particular episode, that I try to find ways to create a sense of a cliffhanger? Of course I did. Eric Bischoff, saying something I agree with, where is that unpredictability in wrestling? See, where is it? Even when The Fiend came out, to attack Kane on Monday Night Raw and Seth Rollins made Seth Rollins scared just laying there in the corner. Um, you already knew that The Fiend was coming out because The Fiend told you in that firehouse, firefly, funhouse nonsense at the beginning of Monday Night Raw. Where is the expectation? See, exactly. You have a roster filled with a million wrestlers, SmackDown and Raw. You can do a lot of different things to surprise the audience, give some, the audience something to look forward to next week, cliffhangers. WWE doesn't do that. And this is what the issue is with creative. You stop being creative because you fed the audience dog food so long. It's like, well, if our house shows are down, pal, when we get to WrestleMania, it's going to be sold out. When we get to our tentpole events like Survivor Series and get to uh, all of our other shows like Royal Rumble and our international shows overseas, it's going to be sold out. So it doesn't matter. You're taking the audience for granted. I hate that in radio. I hate that in television. I hate that in my wrestling. You just give the audience just dog food, and it just it's complete bullshit to the point where I'm a guy that does not mind saying, you know what, uh, I'm just going to skip this show this week or for a couple of weeks, and I'll watch something else, and I'll just read about it, or I'll watch clips on YouTube, because it's not worth the investment if you're just going to treat the fans like shit. So that's my issue. The WWE is not a bad company. You know they have their great moments, but there's too far in between. It's too many times with this company where they're just giving you just the okey-doke, just giving you nothing special until they get to their tentpole events. They're building things, cutting things off. Uh, by the way, who tried to kill Roman Reigns? Is that been? Is it Rowan? Are we? Do we sure it's Rowan? We're sure it's not the double. We're, we're sure it's not Daniel Bryan. Like what? What's going on here? It's just so ridiculous. So, I thought that what Bischoff said was a very salient point in that we do not get the unpredictability anymore in wrestling. People make fun of Paul Heyman now when they go back and watch ECW when the lights will go out and the lights go back on and, oh, it's Sandman. Lights go on, lights go back off. Oh, it's Shane Douglas. At least there was some anticipation where the crowd was like, oh, my God, I didn't expect that. The only thing that would surprise an audience now in professional wrestling is if CM Punk was in the middle of a ring. Lights go out, lights go back on, here comes CM Punk. I mean, you have a roster filled with people. And this is, I'm saying this to MLW, I'm saying this to ROH, I'm saying this to the NWA coming up, I'm saying this to Impact Wrestling, I'm saying this to New Japan. Where is the element of surprise? Where is it? You don't get that in professional wrestling anymore. We as fans do want to be surprised because it just becomes just another show when you just do the same thing for two hours, three hours, however long that you're on the air. 
it's great to see work rate. It's great to see wrestling. It's great to see an in-ring product. But you got to have more than that. You want to have your audience be able to be attached to your product. Show more. Give, you know, pay off something to the audience. So I thought that Bischoff <laughs> for once said something I really agreed with. And as we record this here on Tuesday night, of course, because it's Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, on the 18th will be the first NXT show on Wednesday. By the time you hear this, it's either aired or uh, maybe you're listening to this on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, getting ready for NXT Wednesdays. I'm looking forward to it because it's one of my favorite brands. Now, the question is, it's going to be on a two-hour show on USA Network. For the next couple of weeks, it's going to be just one hour on USA, and the next hour is going to be on the WWE Network. So how does that work? I've enjoyed this show for a long time as a one-hour show. What can they do in two hours that's going to really blow my socks off, right? What's going to blow my hair back for two hours? The one-hour format was so perfect because it was just like territory wrestling. One hour, cliffhanger, see you next week. One hour, solid shows, solid programming, good good work rate, uh, terrific interviews, see you next week. Now it's two hours. Two hours on the USA Network. And, of course, in a couple of weeks, it'll be AEW against NXT. NXT has so many wrestlers. They have a deep reservoir. And it looks like 205 Live wrestlers will come over as well. So it'll make NXT even deeper. And the younger wrestlers in that company will be able to learn along with veterans that have come over from 205 Live. And it's going to be an incredible product, especially if Triple H continues to run it. it was, it's, it's one of my favorite shows in wrestling. Now, if it's going to stay at full sale, that's great. And two, if the booking's still the same, uh, it's going to be even better. With a two-hour format, I expect to see not only great reaction, but just more of a backstory with some of these wrestlers. Tell a great story. Uh, and I think they will be able to. So AEW's got an uphill climb. They've got a good roster, but I but NXT's got a, a deep roster now. Not just NXT people, but uh, they can get it from anywhere just to make sure that they have a higher rating. So that's uh, that's going to be fun, fun to watch. All right, um, don't forget, next Tuesday we will be able to review NXT on the USA Network. Um, so we'll look forward to that. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to NXT on, on uh, not only NXT UK, but also uh, the NXT product on the USA Network. And I can't wait for more information and more news uh, coming from uh, AEW as well. Looks like we've got a world title match coming up soon with Chris Jericho. A little bit of the bubbly. Chris Jericho, who retweeted my thoughts about a little bit of the bubbly on Wrestling TWT. Did you see that? Got a, I got a like and a retweet from Chris Jericho. I'm such a mark. <laughs> but I love Chris Jericho, though. I've always loved Chris Jericho. So, uh, so yeah. So I'll look forward to seeing what else AEW has up their sleeve as well. Uh, so we'll be able to have a guest on next week to talk about what we can expect from NXT and AEW and, of course, more WWE. And uh, Bound for Glory is coming up in October in Chicago and late September, early October. The NWA is getting going. That's going to be fun as well. Ah, oh, man. So much wrestling. 
and so much time to watch and so much time to talk about it right here on Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Hey, thanks so much for listening as always. And uh, even though this show will not be on ESPN 1000 this week or next week, you can always rely on the good old podcast, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday, wherever you download your podcast. Make sure you subscribe. Tell people, John the Hood is talking wrestling. Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. <laughs>